0: Welcome to Mindful Social, the show that intersects mindfulness and emotional intelligence with the hectic online world we live in today. My guest this week is Karen Catlin. She's an author and a speaker, and she saw the need to lend a voice to those underrepresented in the healthcare industry, especially after the last few years in which these workers have given so much to their communities. If you're interested in a practical approach to being a better ally for coworkers and creating a more inclusive workplace so everyone can thrive, have a listen. Welcome, Karen.
1: It's wonderful to have you on the show. Oh, Janet, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> my pleasure too. I really
0: enjoyed reading the book and, you know, I, I I love that there's this aspect in in my brain because I do have some tech background too and I'm also a leadership coach. So we have this kind of thing in common. And my initial response, which you addressed in your introduction was, okay, so why is she talking about healthcare? Let's start there. How did you get to inclusion in the healthcare system?
1: I know, so- It's so funny you bring that up because I feel like, and I I must admit, I edited my introduction a few times with the fine tooth comb, like, am I admitting this enough that I do not have an MD after my name or an RN initial or any of those? I don't have any initials after my name. Is this like a problem? Um, And then I felt like I overcompensated with too many excuses about it. So hopefully I struck a good balance, but yeah. I do not come from the healthcare space. I, like you, have a background in technology as well as being an author and a public speaker. So we do have a lot in common. And the short answer to your question, I'll try to keep this brief, but when I was in working in tech, I noticed a big decline happening in gender diversity. That led me to being very aware and caring about supporting women who work in tech. That led me to starting to realize, well, if I think women have it bad, there are things that are uh, challenges that people who are underrepresented for other reasons have that women may not have. I mean, that's based on the color of your skin or your sexual orientation and identity or your age or your disability status. Um, There's so many ways that people who are underrepresented have um, challenges in the workplace and they experience the workplace differently than people in the majority. That led me to start working on how people who have a lot of privilege can be better allies through just everyday actions, simple things that they could do during the normal course of business to be more inclusive of the people around them. And I did that. I wrote a book called Better Allies. It's very popular. um, And I have a weekly- very good. I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you, and I have this weekly newsletter where I keep learning about how we can be better allies and I share these ideas. So anyway, I'm you know writing my newsletter, speaking about this topic, and then I started hearing from people who work in healthcare how substantial this book and how impactful my Better Allies book was mm. for them as healthcare practitioners, which I never set out to do, Janet. That was like, I, I, I still can't believe that happened. Um, and as you read the introduction, the thing that really catalyzed this was um, a good friend of mine from college gave a copy of my book to his wife. She's a doctor. And she was like, I don't wanna read, I like Karen. I like your friend Karen, <laughs> but I don't wanna read this book about women in tech. That's what she thought it was about. But she finally sat down to read it because her husband just begged uh, begged her or bugged her. And <laughs> she said, I read it start to finish. I couldn't put it down. It was one afternoon. I just dove in and read the whole thing. And your book now is going to help me be a better leader in healthcare, which is going to allow me to deliver better patient care.
0: Mm-hmm. And with,
1: with those words, I felt this responsibility to do more for people like her, and many others who are working in healthcare. And of course this was in the, the, the heart of the pandemic if, we, if it had a heart, um, but uh, where I not being in healthcare really wanted to help people who were doing this incredible work, this frontline work. Um, and if I could do that by helping create more inclusive workplaces, I just said I have to do this. Mm. Yeah, so mm. there's, there's the kind of the meandering story of how I got to where I am now.
0: That's a great story though, because, you know, I mean, I too do some work around diversity and inclusion and allyship in particular is one of my big soapboxes, because I think that, you know, those of us who have privilege tend to rest on it and, you know, kind of don't know what to do. And so then that brings up a uh, chapter called Knights versus Allies, because a lot of us are confused about how do I be an ally? You know, what What does that mean? Is it that I, you know, walk around all the time calling people out on their bias or, you know, just, I've seen some crazy things that people do <laughs> thinking that it's being allies where they actually undermine the person they're trying oh. to support.
1: Yes. Um, a little bit about that and particularly in healthcare. Yeah, so... It's so interesting. First of all, knights versus allies. So many people I hear go into healthcare because they do want to save people. They want to help people. They're thinking about, I individually can make a difference and help patients. And that is kind of a little bit of a knight mentality when it comes right down to it. You know, I'm going to ride into the, you know, operating room or the ER or whatever, the triage and save a patient. Um, And bless people like that, bless them. But at the same time, that's not what we need from allies. Um, We need people who, yeah, will step up and say something when they're seeing non-inclusive or offensive or um, disparaging comments or something. We want people to speak up but we also want people to look for systemic change, systemic change so that they don't have to be in every single conversation or every room. And so some of those examples, um, and one of them in healthcare was a doctor, and this is in my book, a doctor noticed that one of her colleagues was looking pretty tired. And she happened to say to him, you know, do you mind if I ask, how old are you? He's over 60. And she's like, you know, a lot of hospitals have policies, meaning that at a certain age, you no longer have to do the overnight shift, which he had just done. And he did not know about that. So she offered, Can I go look at that? I'll look into that for you. Sure. So she looked into it. Sure enough, the policy was there. He did not have to do overnight shifts anymore. And she let him know. But the thing is, people had to request it, they had to know about that policy. Mm-hmm. So as a as a kind of a knight, she saved him, so to speak. She went in, she got the information, she enabled him to request that this not happen, that, that he doesn't get assigned to the overnight shifts. But what she also did is then a new scheduler at the hospital was hired, and she went and talked to that person and said, Hey, we've got this policy. Not everyone knows about it, it's not very visible. How can we make it more visible?
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: with that, she acted as more the ally of making a systemic change so that everyone, you know, basically the new scheduler told everyone about it. And I think it went into their like new hire onboarding kind of um, information too. So everyone knew about it. And it wasn't just for older people. It was also people in, I think in their third trimester of pregnancy, for example, who also don't have to do overnight shifts. So she helped a whole bunch of people, made a more inclusive workplace um, where everyone really could do, be doing their best work and thriving in a different way than before. Um, But Janet, let's talk about, something else you said some people think they're acting as allies but they're actually not helpful Mm -hmm. and i think of this there's a whole category of benevolent things benevolent sexism benevolent ableism benevolent other things um are you familiar with these phrases
0: yes and ableism is one of the big ones for me i run into a lot
1: yeah do you have an example you want to share just People that will, silly things,
0: people will open doors for someone who's on crutches. And that seems like, oh, well, they have a disability. I have to jump in and save them and be their white knight. But that highlights for that person that they're disabled. And it highlights that they look like they need help. Did they ask? Did you say, can I open the door for you? It's pretty simple to just say, yeah. can I help you with the door? But yeah. we often don't because we're too busy in our own egos. I'm going to help this person. And it yeah. doesn't relate to what that person's experience or what their desire is.
1: Yeah, interesting. So interesting. You know, um, I also, if I think about the workplace, which that could happen in a workplace or in a public setting, but also when I think about the workplace, I was reading about someone who um, is in a wheelchair and authored a paper an an academic paper with a co-author and that co-author basically offered like hey you know i will travel to the conference to give the talk on our paper because i know you're concerned about the airline damaging your wheelchair when you travel Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you see what happens there the person Mm -hmm. in the wheelchair no longer gets that opportunity to to present the work to go to the conference not that they couldn't they might have said no thanks I'll, i'm gonna go but you know the person was trying to be benevolent trying to be nice and helpful mm-hmm. but that's the opposite it was not good for that person's career and it makes the other
0: person feel less than yes exactly it's actually as
1: bad yeah you know? yeah exactly yep um and then the benevolent sexism will given that I have a story there, which I love sharing, um, not about healthcare, but it could happen there too, but it's something I personally saw firsthand. Um, when I was still in tech as a vice president of engineering, I had a man who reported to me and he had a new headcount, new headcount to hire somebody on his team. And so I was asking him like, what are you thinking about for this job scope? What was the job description? And he was outlining what he had in mind. And as he was talking, I was thinking, my gosh, this would be great for Frankie. Frankie was a woman on his team who was like his star performer. We had just gone through performance calibrations and she was ready for more responsibility. And this would be the best job it was just perfect. And so I asked him, I'm like, sounds like it'd be great for Frankie. Are you thinking about talking to her about it? And he said, Oh no, she's got young children at home and she would not want all the travel that would go with this job. Mm. And fortunately I thought, you know, thought to speak up and I I said something to him along the lines of, you know, hey, wait a second, that's her decision to make, not yours. If you think she can do the job, you should talk to her about it. He did. She said yes. And she was great. <laughs> she she could handle whatever it was going on, you know, with with her young children at home in the travel. She was fine. Um, so I think that this like he was trying to be kind to her, but again, career limiting.
0: I wouldn't have thought of the word benevolent in the way that you use it, but it's totally appropriate because we really do. Oh, I'm gonna save you from feeling yeah. bad or save you from trouble. And you know, we didn't ask them. It's not mm-hmm. simple, you know, paying attention to what people really want and not assuming that we know what they need or what they want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, in the book, you said that there are 10 million people, roughly, working in healthcare, and most of the high paying jobs are white, mostly male. And there are a lot of different levels, obviously, in healthcare. Can you give us a little bit of data or information about what the issues are? Yeah, healthcare? yeah
1: yeah, definitely. and um and we should emphasize this is in the United States. That's most yes. of my research that's in the United States where it's out, where I was able to get things outside the United States. Of course, I included that in, and uh, called it out, but the numbers you're quoting are in the United States. Um, one thing that was infuriating to me is that, we all, I think we all know, nursing is predominantly woman-dominated, um, very few men. In fact, um, I think about wonderful people in my life, including my older mother, elderly mother, who's always like, the male nurse came by today, like something like that. I'm like, well, it's just a nurse, mom, but um, but it's it stands out when it's a man-nurse for some people, and anyway, so we know that nursing is woman-dominated, yet male nursers male nurses on average earn more than women nurses. Like what's up with that? So that was infuriating when I heard that. Um, another thing that happens in many of these, uh, situations is in academic medicine, the, um, more you earn more as you go up in the professorial ranks and into um, being a dean and so forth. Um, and that becomes just maler and paler the higher up you go, as well, maler which is what right? (laughs) And it's what we see in so many um, corporate settings as well. We certainly see that in tech as well. So, um, and of course, the the earning potential is impacted there as well. Um, I did outline a, and I'm not going to be able to quote this, Janet, but I outlined like, if you can imagine two people starting out their career as an academic, um, you know, medicine doctor, maybe today they'd start out i think it was 240,000 i did some research that seemed like a good starting salary for someone with all those years of training and were you know starting to um their career 240,000 dollars a man and a woman equally qualified um if that man negotiates just a little bit at the beginning and the woman doesn't what the impact that is over their lifetime earnings if they really have yeah, very equal trajectories. Um, it was over a million dollars by the end of a thirty-year career um, that the man would earn more than the woman just because he negotiated at the beginning, um, and we do see salary inequities in medicine, in healthcare, um, just like in in other industries um, and disciplines. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: and at different levels of the organization as well. You know that when we go down into the Lower echelon than the people that don't have medical degrees. Yeah. That's a totally different demographic, isn't it?
1: Yes, yes. Um, and I heard a lot about people who are in um, administrative roles in large healthcare systems, really concerned about the entry level worker, the frontline worker, the um, cafeteria and housekeeping staff and so forth, like how can they possibly make a living if they earn the nationwide minimum wage, which is like, is it $7.50 an hour at this point? I think it's something They they know, like you cannot subsist on that. You mm-hmm. cannot sustain a family on that. Um, and so there is a focus to retain these workers and hire them of course and attract them, but to retain these workers who are doing important work for any healthcare system that they need to be focused instead of on a minimum wage but on a wage minimum. A wage minimum that's just going to allow them to sustain their self, their families and potentially even build wealth over time in terms of owning a home, for example. Um, So I love that focus that people have on this population that often is left behind.
0: Well, what are some ways then that we can really look at that from a systemic level and figure out how are we going to have a little more equity in different levels
1: of the organization? Yeah, I what I'm seeing is a focus at the top, a focus at the top that we are going to make a difference here. We are going to pay attention to this. And even though there there can be a focus at the top, there also needs to be advocates who are making sure that this is continued to be a focus, that that, uh, pay equity reviews happen, that an understanding of cost of living. You know, um, again, in the United States here, the cost of living adjustment for social security this year is like 9% why wouldn't these minimum wage or wage minimum workers also be getting a 9% cost mm-hmm. of living increase? I mean, if, if the US government thinks that the retirees need that, why wouldn't people who are working 40 hours a week also need that to sustain their lives? Um, so I, you still need these advocates to make sure that, hey, this is important to us. This is something we are gonna be focused on and this is something we're gonna be doing. Um, I also heard about advocates in administrative roles especially when the pandemic first hit, thinking about what can we do for our workforce? This is an awful time, unprecedented. And many healthcare systems started creating food pantries, food pantries where people could either shop for some like milk and bread on their way home so they didn't also have to go to a grocery store, potentially infect themselves there um, and and of course save themselves some time or perhaps just pick up some snacks um, to have during the course of the day because it was such a hard time. And there were administrators who were like, these people, we pay them, they should be able to afford their own groceries or their own snacks, like why? And of course, you and I, coming from tech, it's like there's snacks everywhere. Like, like <laughs> right. why not give people snacks? This is one of the cheapest things you can do to um, just keep people in the office and working and sustained, right? So it's just it's funny the mindset. But um, but advocates um, and there's a story in my book where one advocate's like, wait a second, these yes, there might be some abuse. There might be some people like stealing some food, some of these snacks we want them to eat here and bringing them home. But if they do, maybe that's because they really need it at home too. Mm. And we aren't just taking care of our workers. We're te- we need to be thinking about their families too. And, that uh, one and really caught you.
0: me off guard because I didn't expect to see that from, I mean, my healthcare experience has been all from the consumer side, but I do know a few people who work in healthcare and, you know, it's, it's, it's been so tough. And to actually hear that some organizations were actually stepping up and going, okay, we're going to offer this. Partly, okay, I'm sure there was there was little altruism there, but there was also the okay, keep these people in their seats, just the way it is in tech. You know, let's let's make sure that they're well taken care of, so they don't have to go to the grocery store and possibly get infected. Um, but I think that. It's really amazing that they did that. i I had not heard about that, and it that's really cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like that, yeah, yep. Um, I me too. And what is frustrating, again, there's a lot that of the research I did was this like hair like pull the hair out kind of kind of research, just realizing mm-hmm. what was happening. It was frustrating to think about people sitting around some big, comfortable conference room table, having like the weekly, senior leadership meeting for this, you know, large hospital system or something, earning, I don't even know how many six figures, like, way up there, and um, and feeling very comfortable in their lives, and just saying, you know, why are we giving people free food? Like, it, like what privilege is that? What These people probably had money in the bank, had no problem having, had, you know, paying more to have groceries delivered to their home, like, it just, you know, probably wasn't even an issue for them, and that is a kind of privilege that, we as allies need to realize that sometimes financial privilege allows us to um, experience life and the workplace in ways that other people just don't can't and don't Absolutely. experience it that way. Um, yeah. and, and you probably remember too from my book, I have this list of fifty ways you might have privilege in these healthcare workplaces. I wrote a version of that for my first book, Better Allies, and it is such a popular tool. It's such a popular tool for people to realize like, okay, I'm just gonna review this list of 50 things that may mean I have privilege. Um, I don't have to tell anyone about it. It's not about like shaming and blaming anyone, but I'm gonna review this and think about, oh, didn't realize that was a privilege. And I knew I had to revise it for this healthcare book. So, again, doing a lot of research, talking to people, and realizing how all of that shows up um, was um, another fascinating process. Yes. And that's such
0: important work because, you know, we don't always, we rarely recognize our own privilege until we see that someone doesn't have it. And so, a list like that is really useful because you can look at it and go, oh, oh, I see myself here. And then you can actually maybe think about it for a little while and do something with that privilege and recognize that other people, you know, may need the same option to not work night shifts. You know, um, there's so many different things there. And I'd love for you to just kind of pick out of your brain five or six privileges that people can think about right now whether they have those privileges or not,
1: yeah, yeah, so the top of the list is you are male and you are white. Um, you know, it's just like those those are definitely privileges in our western society. Um, others though, um, and we're gonna give me a give me let me let me open it, Janet, so that you can cut this out, yeah. <laughs> um because I get the two lists confused at times so um if you give me just a minute I'll be able to no be more um, uh, articulate about this health healthcare privileges there it is because there are some
0: really good ones here on. I'll just let you know that I've had to do that with my own book on occasion people <laughs> are like in chapter six you
1: said blah 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 and I'm oh like my eh, I don't remember that um, well, and you've written so many books, Janet. Um, it gets harder the more. Yeah. Um... Okay, I'm ready to go. Okay, tell me about some of these privileges. Right. So at the top of the list, I'm white, or I can pass as white because um, that is a privilege too. Even though we might be of a different race or ethnicity, I'm a man. I am straight. I'm um, cisgendered, it's just like the the kind of the, <laughs> the things that maybe come top of mind in the DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion kind of um, uh, conversations. Mm-hmm. But then it goes on from there. Um, maybe you attended an elite university, which matters in healthcare. You have a lot of initials after your mm-hmm. name. The more you have, the more credibility you have when you introduce yourself, um, you, mm-hmm have a degree in your field that is recognized, it came from a university that's recognized by the country you are living in. For a lot of nurses who might've studied nursing in a different country than where they're working today, they often have to go through a very rigorous recertification process and Mm -hmm. they aren't at the same earning potential they should be given their years of experience and the credibility, the certificates and so forth that they already have. So that's another um, kind of privilege. Um uh I feel welcome at networking opportunities at conferences or other opportunities to meet people in our field. I feel welcome there um because I look the part. Um oh, I have access to scrubs that fit my body size. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um Other medical equipment too, such as uh, lead coverings for people who are doing x-rays and are technicians, I have those to cover myself. And if I'm pregnant, I have something to cover um, that part of my body too, my uterus. Um, Anyway, gosh, I could go on from here. Um, I'm trying to think what other ones, anyway, do, do you remember this list by any chance? Did you have anything you wanted to add to it that? kind of caught your eye, attention? I think there's just so many. And I, I think that
0: some of it is, you know, as you said, some of it is, you know, yes, cisgender. Okay, how does that give me privilege? Because it's really about, to me anyway, it's about the people that relate to you as a cisgender person and I'm gay. So there's a difference. And sometimes, you know, you recognize that, oh, (laughs) with my mindset, it's like, oh, hey, that's a disadvantage right now. When did that happen? Oh, we're going to fix that. But a lot of people don't. They just assume that role. And so recognizing that we have privilege to make decisions, recognizing that Perhaps we're in a position where we're hiring. And, you know, as you noted very well in the book, we tend to gravitate towards people that look like us or act like us or think like us. So when we're hiring, getting out of that box and thinking about other ways that we can incorporate people who may disagree with us oh my gosh, or may have different issues. Um, once we can start that path as an ally, we start changing everything at a systemic level, because we really are changing the system. There are more people of color here. There are people who are neurodiverse here. There are people who are gay, people who are not white, all those other things. Um, to me, that's part of understanding what your privilege is. And yes. it's rights that we totally take it for granted, unless yeah. we recognize them.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, and oh my gosh, I'm just thinking of the parallels with tech and healthcare too. We've been, you know, touched on a few so far, but one that just came up as you for me as you were talking is, yeah, you know, we do want diverse teams, people of different backgrounds, experiences, identities, because, and the research is there. Diverse teams help build better solutions to tech problems. They they help um, meet customer needs better. They're more innovative. They're better financially like to the bottom line of the company, like more uh, financial benefits. Um, There's so many reasons why we want diverse teams. And Mm -hmm. in healthcare, certainly there are people doing research and um, identifying new, you know, Uh, new pharmaceuticals and so forth, which is amazing. And they need that diversity too, to create the right solution. But there are also people who are delivering patient care, direct patient care. And when you have a diverse team that respects each other, that's delivering patient care, the patients pick up on that. The patients pick up on, this is a respectful environment. I'm gonna be respected here too, regardless of my situation and my background. I'm going to follow their advice and do these tests that they've required. I am going to come up, come back for my follow-up um, appointments for further healthcare because I feel welcome in this place. I feel that people respect each other, and I want to. I I feel like they are going to be taking care of me. I heard that over and over again, um, for, especially for um, lower income people of color as well as members of the LGBTQ community um and others. It's just like that that vibe almost and presence of um an inclusive, diverse team delivering patient care has so many benefits to the patient itself, himself, mm-hmm. herself, their self, their self. That's the word I should be using.
0: Absolutely though. It really, you know, when we go into a situation of the client in a healthcare situation, we don't want to feel like we're surrounded by people who are not getting along, not understanding each other, dissing each other, which I have to say I've seen quite often, oh, well, they're going to take care of that, they're going to do this, they're going to do that, without really um, realizing they're all people. We forget, well, I don't forget, you probably don't forget, but we (laughs) see people forgetting all the time their humanity, and that, to me, is incredibly sad. Of course, me too. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about hiring. Um, you talk a little bit about the language that we use in hiring and also in evaluations, you know, when we're yeah a leader and we're giving an evaluation to a team member. So I know that's a two-part question, but dive in.
1: Yes, yes. Um, and evaluations can also be if we are evaluating talent because we want to hire somebody, or we're evaluating talent because we run an admissions program for a healthcare-related degree. Um, So many things there. One of the fascinating things, and again, total connection between my corporate experience in healthcare is we are using different language to describe people, where, um, and a lot of it is based on people looking at gender differences as well as racial differences. But um, uh, gender differences, women are getting different kinds of feedback. Um, People use language to describe women that is softer, less powerful. And um, this also happens for black individuals versus white individuals. Um, It's... um, kinder it's more um, nurturing Um, things that sound really good but when you compare it to the language that men tend to get and be evaluated on um, and be complimented on it is um, like night and day Um, and that's gotta that's gotta um, make a difference to people as they're as, as they're being calibrated and discussed for promotions um, and positions in you know different programs that they might be applying for, yeah. um, so it's super yeah super frustrating. I also did research really like it wasn't hard, but just sort of looking at I'm gonna go look at some websites where um, academic me- uh, medicine programs as well as nursing programs are trying to recruit talent to join their programs, and even in the heart of the US South, which is um, has a lot of uh, racial diversity, a lot more than some um, other cities and so forth. But I found medical schools where like in Birmingham, was it Birmingham, Alabama, Birmingham, Mississippi, I can't remember, uh, shoot. Um, I found medical programs that even though they were located in a city it was predominantly black, they only showed people pictures of people who are white on their recruiting page, And I'm not sure what that was all about, right? Um, Whereas other programs might be incredibly welcoming and talking about the different employee or student resource groups they have on campus for people of different identities to make sure that people knew like when you come here, there are groups that you may wanna join that you're gonna feel welcome at and supported through. Um, it was just incredible. To, it, it wasn't hard. This is the thing. I was just like, I'm just going to go. You know, spent half an hour and look at some of these websites, and they were it, the the dichotomy. The differences were so apparent. Yeah, yeah.
0: You talked about a, a website. I think it's Textio, where mm-hmm. they actually analyze job descriptions yeah. to yeah. find bias to see how things are phrased. Um, can you talk a little bit about? Um, what should we be doing if we're thinking about, you know, writing job applications, like you just said, you know, okay, let's use language that people are going to understand that it relates to them Mm -hmm. um, without pigeonholing people, you know, like, we (laughs) like gay people here, those kind (laughs) of things are just as bad. I mean, you know, there's so many different Different ways to look at this, and mostly we don't think about them at all. We've been putting exactly. the same applications out for years.
1: Yes, yeah, and and we tend to. I know I've done this. You copy and paste the last one, and you add to it. So our job descriptions also can, can get bloated with requirements mm-hmm. that really are no longer needed. Um, you know, there's a big move these days to remove college degrees from a lot of job descriptions, unless you really need to have a college degree. And in a lot of healthcare, that is a requirement to have a college degree, advanced degree and so forth. But there are a lot of other positions that really don't need college degrees. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, I was just reading the uh, state of Maryland has just dropped this requirement from most of their job openings. Um, So a public public, uh, governmental body can do this. I'm sure healthcare systems can do it too for things like you know, finance, accounting, like there are probably jobs you really don't need to have a college degree, IT. um, Even though I'm someone with a computer science degree, I'll still say (laughs) there are a lot of IT jobs that you don't need degrees for. So that's just one thing. Um, Another thing that happens with um, job descriptions is is where we're posting the job descriptions. Um, I love the story I heard in doing research for my book about Um, An organization that wanted to make sure they were hiring more nurses from diverse backgrounds, from diverse racial backgrounds, and they were just not able to go recruit at some of the historically black colleges and universities that had great nursing programs, because while they had great nursing programs, the nursing programs didn't quite meet their needs, not, not meet their requirements. They weren't teaching their graduates all the skills that they wanted, and so they went to other universities that did that. And um, the head of nursing at this organization who I spoke to was like, well, wait a second. If we really wanna hire more black nurses, we have to go where the black nurses are. And if they aren't getting the training they need through that program, we need supplement. So they started hiring nurses from these programs and realizing that's okay, because when they come on board, we're gonna have to give them additional training. We know what that is, and we can do that. And they ended up diversifying their, ratios and improving their ratios of black nurses to white nurses substantially which as we mentioned before they believe helps them deliver better patient care exactly that would give
0: them the step up that they need to be able to compete anywhere rather yes. than just in the the hospital that didn't have those requirements that's wonderful yes,
1: yes. Yeah, so it takes a creative mindset. I'll say at times it's like, um, just cause this is the way we've always done it doesn't mean we have to do it moving forward. What got us to this point is not gonna get us to where we need to go in the future. Um, and I think that is a really good growth mindset for allies everywhere.
0: Yeah, that is.
1: And it, it is something that, you know,
0: we just need to bust out of our norms. And we get so stuck in that, like you said, cutting and pasting the same old resume. Uh, Using language, um, you know, with both of us working in the tech industry, we both know that most tech engineer jobs are written for men. They don't apply any knowledge, any thought at all to how are we going to phrase this and use words, you know, like driver, driver that really target men. Um, And there's lots of that. Um, But I guess, gosh... We have talked a long time, so I need to come to the point where I would love for you to give us some quick call to action. What can I do if I'm working in the health industry and I want to be an ally and I want to make real change? What's the, what are a couple of things that I can do that's just gonna make a difference, whether it's subtle yeah. difference
1: or big difference? Yep start paying attention. This is my first point. It's like, be aware of what's going on around you and take action. What do I mean by take action? Um, When you feel that there has been something said that is not inclusive, maybe an offensive comment, maybe a patient has said something offensive to um, uh, someone else in the room that you've overheard. Maybe someone's making an off color joke, maybe someone is getting more of an opportunity because they happen to be in the, um, able to go into the men's changing room at the beginning of the shift where all the conversations are happening about whatever. Um, When you notice something's happening, speak up. Um, In my book, I provide so many phrases, some ideas, some things you can actually say when you might otherwise not know what to say. Because a lot of these conversations are new to us. We might not feel comfortable with them and um, we, we're not practiced. So what can what can we do? Um, you know, one, one of my favorite techniques is this approach called seek common ground and then educate. Seek common ground means you find something in connection with someone when they say something. Like I used to think it was just fine to say, to call someone um, you know, the lowest person on the totem pole, for example, I used to think it was fine to say that, it just was a cute phrase I've heard a lot of people or I think uh, that language It happens a lot with language. I used to think it was fine to use that but I have since learned that it's actually racist and it is appropriating of a Native American spiritual tradition that really isn't cool, we shouldn't be doing that. So um, you know, it's a great way to call someone into a conversation without feeling like you are just um uh, chastising them, making them feel uncomfortable, shaming them, blaming them in some ways. I used to think that too, and here's what I've since learned. Um or if it's something, you know, someone's saying something um racist or making a joke that just is a little bit sexist or whatever, um speak up with like, you know, and like Ouch, or hey, I don't mm. get the joke, can you explain it to me? Like the, it, these things are happening and we need to have the interventions kind of in our back pocket that we can pull out and just say without a lot of fanfare, just like, I don't get that joke, can you explain it to me? And have them feel a little bit on the spot and feel a little uncomfortable maybe as they try to uh, dig that hole that they probably are gonna be digging for themselves, trying to explain why it's not racist or sexist or something mm. like that, yeah 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 um,
0: I really enjoyed this section at the end of the book, where you do offer a little bit of kind of you know what we would call dyads. you know let's let's get a couple of people together and just ask yourself a couple of questions, and how how would I deal with this situation, or how could I handle it a little bit better? And I think there's there's some really good discussion topics there kind of warm the waters for people, and, and I appreciate that, thank you. Thank you, Janet. Yeah. So it's been wonderful having you, and I would love for you to tell people what the best way to get in touch with you, where they find the book.
1: Yes betterallies.com has it all. It has my contact information. It has um, a description of all of my Better Allies book, including this newest one, Belonging in Healthcare. It has free download of the 50 ways you might have privilege in the healthcare workplace that you and I spoke about. So people can download that for free and just take a look at that and start thinking about their own privilege. Um, And it also has a way to sign up for my weekly newsletter. I send out a newsletter every Friday. It's called Five Ally Actions. And it's kind of a roundup of things I've learned during the course of the week about how to be a better ally in any domain, um, whether that's a corporate setting or a healthcare setting or an educational setting. Um, So it's a great way to kind of get a sort of a regular reminder of this allyship stuff's important. We need to keep learning how to do this. And through my newsletter, I hope people pick up an idea or two every week that they can apply the following week.
0: Oh, that's really great. Thank you. And I will add those links to the blog posts, and you can pick them up in the notes on the show notes as well. So thank you everyone for listening. And thank you, Karen. It was really a pleasure. No, no, the pleasure is all mine, Janet. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Mindful Social. It's been so great to see the subscriptions growing and the feedback has really helped me make the show even better. So if you know somebody who needs to be on the show, email me at Janet at and please send me feedback there too or post a review on the podcast platform you're listening on. Oh, and do me a favor, share this show on social media or with a friend. Thank you.